Welcome to the Australian Hiker Podcast, Australia's longest-running hiking podcast, downloaded over half a million times in over 145 countries, and providing you with an Australian perspective on all things hiking. I'm your host, Tim Savage, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Jill Savage. Hi, everyone. In today's episode, episode 180, we are talking about choosing your own adventure. Now, before we get into today's episode, if you'd like to help support Australian Hiker on this podcast, there are a couple of ways that you can help us out. Firstly, subscribe on your podcast host of choice so it's available as soon as it's published. And if you have the opportunity, leave us a five-star review. Another way you can support us if you like what we do is go to the Australian Hiker website at www.australianhiker.com.au and click on the supporters page and buy us a coffee. You can do a one-off donation or become a monthly supporter. All donations are greatly appreciated and help us to continue producing this podcast and blog. Now let's get on to today's episode. There are literally thousands of marked or signposted hiking trails across every state and territory of Australia, and even the keenest hiker is unlikely to ever hike them all. Having said that, sometimes you just want to do something that's just a little bit different. In our case, when we were recently doing a local walk, we realised that by being creative, we were able to, to join two separate walks into one, creating the opportunity for a different experience that the individual walks didn't provide. In this episode, we look at simple opportunities for creating your own hiking adventure that with a bit of basic knowledge and planning, almost anyone can do. Now, before we get into the detail, this podcast would benefit listening to the written version, which has a series of maps and uh, and images that will help explain a number of things we're going to be talking about. So if you have the opportunity, have the written article open at the same time you're listening to this podcast. Except if you're driving. Except if you're driving, yeah, that's <laughs> true. First things first, um, how do we come across this or how do we actually think about this? Now, typically we tend to stick to the designated and marked walking trails, which allows us to provide reviews of walks that other hikers can easily find and undertake. Recently, we found ourselves finishing off a series of walks in the southern area of Namaji National Park, which is on the outskirts of Canberra. And while doing one walk in particular, we stumbled across an opportunity to create our own adventure by joining two separate walks. And I do say stumbled here, I'll own up and say <laughs> I wasn't paying attention. You weren't, and, you weren't lost. Uh, I weren't lost. I, I weren't lost. I wasn't lost. I knew exactly where, we got, where I was, but I wasn't where I was supposed to be. So I'd basically taken a turn too early and I'd thought that this was the case, but I thought, okay, I'll have a look anyway. Uh, and I did realise very, very quickly that I'd, I was going in the wrong, uh, wrong direction. But what it did come up or what it did generate in my mind was that this would come in at the back of another walk uh, and allow us to combine the two walks into what we have now called the four huts walk. Because we're not very creative. No, no. And there are four huts on this walk. (laughs) And we'll talk about that more in a moment. So the idea of joining up walks or extending walks or creating your own walks is something that a lot of people either do quite regularly and particularly more experienced hikers. And in this case here, we're talking about creating routes. 
So a route is something that's not really a designated walk. It's something that's been put together or cobbled together to, to generate something that's different or that's not actually a marked trail as such. It's sounding like a Tim Savage definition of something. Uh, it, it is more, it's more an American definition uh, uh, when they're doing, talking about route walking rather than trail walking, uh, but it, it, it just puts a bit of an explanation on it. So there are a number of considerations you do need to think about, and this goes beyond the standard, what do you need to do when you're planning any hike? So, you know, the whole concept of letting people know where you're going, letting, you know, letting people know when you're coming back, those sort of things still apply. But there are some additional considerations when you are route planning. The first thing we're going to look at is tools that can help you out. Now, most Australian states and territories have a series of national parks, state forest and nature reserves that not only help to protect the natural environment, but also at the same time provide opportunities, recreational opportunities for the general population. Many of these parks and reserves will contain signposted uh, and marked walks. Um, having said that, though, I know I have been to some national parks that are very remote and they don't actually have designated hiking trails on them. But they're certainly the ones that are close to populated areas, they will include walking trails or multi-purpose trails that will allow cyclists at the least to go through them. Um, there are a very limited number that will allow horses through them, but in most cases that's not the, not the opportunity that's there. It's, we, we really are talking about walking. So we need to know what sort of tools that can help us to look at those trails and work out how we could potentially join them up or how we can actually generate new ones altogether. Yeah, and I think I would say that if we are relying solely on the maps you can get through uh, the National Park Services, you're probably going to need something um, just a little bit more detailed and a little bit more helpful, I think. Now, we're fairly lucky here in Canberra that Namaji National Park puts out a map that shows all their walks uh, and it shows all the management trails as well. So you can sit here and look at them and think, okay, if I go from this point to this point, I can connect them up. And that's what we actually did in generating the Four Huts Walk. Things like Tidbinbilla Nature Reserve, which is a, a state or a territory nature reserve here in Canberra. Uh, they also produce a reserve information pamphlet, uh, which you can pick up at the visitor centre or you can download online. Uh, and again, they show the designated walks, but they also show all the interconnecting series of management trails that run through the reserve. So if you don't feel like doing just the walks that have been identified, uh, this allows you to connect them up uh, and, as, as we said, to choose your own adventure. Um, and we have actually done that recently where we chose to do a longer version of a walk called the Camel's Hump Walk. Uh, and we ended up uh, taking a slightly different route than was recommended. Uh, but it was a good walk all the same. So it just provided an opportunity to do something that isn't on the marked information sheets or pamphlets. Now, not all national parks have that opportunity or actually generate uh, printed maps. Uh, and I'll, I'll use as an example here New South Wales. New South Wales will have a website 
for each national park. So if you type is type in as an example Kosciuszko National Park, uh, you'll uh, bring up a number of activities, and one of those is walking. Uh, and then if you look at that, they use Google Earth uh, or Google Maps rather, uh, and show you where the walking trail is on the map. Now it doesn't necessarily show you the connecting roadways and management trails, but it does show you how to get to the start of the walk and show you where the walk goes, um, at least in itself. So in this respect, it's not as helpful as, say, the ACT Namaji National Park is, but it does actually give you at least an idea. And if you then pick up a couple of the Kosciuszko National Park maps, and there's a couple of different maps available there, you can sort of look at that uh, look at where the walks are, and again, start building your own walks. Now, these maps that are park-based are limited. They tend to be limited to the the major uh, walking, the major uh, parks themselves. So you may not find a printed map that's available from the visitor centre in your old local park. Where you do have the ability to go from here, at least from a printed version, is. Uh, through Geoscience Australia, uh, and they used to produce topographic maps for a lot of uh, areas around Australia. They've now moved away from that because it's a, an expensive process that just wasn't was costing the money and wasn't actually getting a return on investment. So you still can find some printed map. They're becoming few and far between. But you can actually go through and download for a number of areas, and it is a bit sparse in states like South Australia. Uh, You can download topographic maps for each of the areas and then start looking at what's available. Now, again, they're not particularly good at showing management trails, uh, but they are good at showing the topography. So I think with the topographic maps in particular, they're good for more experienced hikers that are really going off, off track and going bush Uh, that want to work out uh, how to get from point A to point B without using any trails whatsoever. The other opportunities uh, you have for electronic maps tends to be the state-based agencies. And if you go to the written version of this podcast, uh, we've got the links to each of the states uh, and territories uh, for their online, uh, uh, online digital maps. Uh, and some are better than others, and they, they some of them do require a bit of time and effort spent to work out how to use them, but they, they are a good opportunity for those that are into generating something a bit more complex. Good options for the average person tend to be Google Maps and Google Earth, and Google Earth in particular is quite good. Um, and I've used an example um, in the written version here where I've gone through and looked at the four huts walk that we did. Uh, it was very easy and very clear to see where the trail and the management roads went, and I've gone through and marked that out as an image. So you can sort of sit there and print either a, the whole thing on an A3 page or an A4 page, or you can do sections of it and, and you know do 10 or 12 pieces of paper and carry them with you on the hike. Because the, the walk we're talking about, or the walks we're talking about here are the simple walks. We're not talking about something really complex where you you know you can get it, it's easy to get lost. Well, the other thing you can do is take an image if you create it when you're at home. You can take an image um, and put it on your phone so you can actually see it um, even when you don't have phone signal. 
One thing you can also do as well is you can actually um, use an app that's a GPX viewers, and GPX viewers are uh, basically electronic maps, uh, and you can put that on your phone, or if you have a GPS, uh, and we've got Garmin GPSs, which are probably the more common ones on the that are being used on trail these days, um, and you can actually go online if you have a subscription and create your own uh, route and load that onto your GPS. So that way you can be out and about. Uh, you can still print it out again, but you can also have it on your GPS. So if you are wandering around and you think you've gone off trail, you can actually look on your GPS to see where that is. So that's a good option for those that are, are GPS users and those that also have a subscription service as well. Now, the next thing I'd say here is to think outside the box. Now, my, my undergraduate degree is in landscape architecture, and I have a particular interest in trail design. So when I go hiking, I don't just look at the environment. I look at how the trails are designed, how they're set up, uh, and what I think uh, could be done to make them better. It's just something that's, that's ingrained in me. I look at how things are actually set up. So it's not unusual, from, in my case, to go against the grain, and we did that just recently. We were down in Jarvis Bay in Butterie National Park, and I went the opposite direction than what was recommended for this trail. Now, I was happy with my choice. Uh, I think it was a good choice. Um, either one would have had pros and cons, um, but typically what I tend to do is I look at the, the trail, in this case it was a loop, and thought, okay, should I take the left branch or the right branch? And to me, it just made sense to take the left branch on this particular walk. I thought that was just because you leaned that direction, Tim. It just naturally bent that way. It it could well be. It could <laughs> well be. So, yeah, in another given day, I might have taken the anti-clockwise direction, but in this case here, I took the clockwise, which wasn't the recommended uh, route on this one. Now, the views in some respects were better going the other way, uh, but the walk was easier going in the clockwise direction. Um, and it was just one of those sort of things uh, that there are pros and cons for both directions in that particular walk itself. What I'd suggest here is to spend some time doing some research in your local area, particularly with hikes that you're uh, familiar with, and seeing what you can do to add on or to change or amend a walk that's, that you're familiar with uh, and potentially extend it. And I'll talk about some extremes here. So in podcast episode 88, we talked to David Breeze, who was one of the instigators of the Great South Coast Walk. Now, this trail does not exist as a, as a designated trail. What's actually happened is David and a number of other people got together and connected a series of walking tracks, starting at Bundina, just south of Sydney in Royal National Park, uh, and took it through to Malakuta, just over the Victorian border, to generate a trail that is 660 kilometres long uh, by joining up a number of pre-existing walking trails and just generating those connecting pieces to get from one to the other. Now, that's an extreme example here, but that's pretty much a choose-your-own-adventure walk. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they are trying to get that set up as a, as a designated trail, which means it will be signposted as the Great South Walk uh, and have all the information and the trailheads and the, uh, the facilities that go with that. It's been a bit delayed by the, uh, the bushfires from uh, the summer of 2019-2020, unfortunately, but uh, I think they're getting there. Yeah, and there's been a number of, a number of 
pieces or segments of this walk that were badly damaged. So, um, you know, again, probably in the next couple of years, as all the regrowth comes in, people will start doing that walk again. The other one that's a bit of a choose-your-own-adventure is potentially the Larapinta Trail in the Northern Territory. Now, this is a walk we've done uh, and we've reviewed, uh, and it's a very popular walk, and it's a it's quite a, a good walk, even though it's it's by no means Australia's longest walk at roughly 230 kilometres. It's a very good walk, but originally it was designed to go from Mount Zeal, uh, which is a, the Northern Territory's highest peak, through to Alice Springs, and for whatever reason that didn't occur, uh, it went from pretty much uh, Mount Sonder, uh, which is the, the the northern trailhead, back to Alice Springs. Uh, now, the potential is there to do it from Mount Zeal, but in talking to people that have done it, you're supposed to get approval from the Northern Territory Park Service for a couple of reasons here. One is you're travelling across country, uh, and they want to know where you are and what you're doing just in case there's, a, there's an accident or an emergency. It's they need. quite remote. It's quite remote. And the other thing is it also comes very close to uh, Aboriginal uh, culturally sensitive areas. So you need to sort of very, very clearly keep away from some areas Be to know, get where you're going. Yeah, know where you're going. So it's it's one of those sort of things that I must admit that's one of the the things on my lists of things to do is to do the Larapenta Trail starting from Mount Zeal. Uh, so it's it's the sort of thing that yeah it doesn't have to be the really long hikes, uh, but it also doesn't have to be the small hikes as well. And that brings us back that when you are starting out, start out small. So, as I said, the example we've given of the Great South Coast Walk at 660 kilometres is extreme, and it's probably not something that everyone wants to do. But when you are starting out, pick something that's two or three kilometres and see if you can add um, a a short one-kilometre connecting point to join up to another walk. Um, And we we live at the uh, close by to Mount Ainsley in Canberra, uh, and that is riddled with walking trails and management trails uh, and we've pretty much walked the entire series of trails on that mountain over the years uh, haven't actually written them all up and in fact one of my favorite summit walks to Mount Ainsley is a choose your own adventure uh, it connects in with the Kokoda track which is the formal summit walk which starts at the back of Mount Ainsley um, but it starts from a different point and I know a number of people who live around Mount Ainsley in the various suburbs will do the same thing. They'll connect in from uh, uh, other areas or other trails to the summit walk to end up being the same spot but getting there in a different way. Yeah, a different route gives you a little bit of a different view and a different experience. So keep it small, keep it simple, um, and you know, as you gain an experience and gain in in skills and knowledge, then look at look at extending if that's what you want to do. The next comment I'd make is play it safe, uh, and really this comes back to the basics. You do need to let someone know where you're going, and let someone know what you're doing, and let someone know that you're back. But particularly when you're going off track, if you tell someone you're doing a particular walk and then then go three or four kilometres off that track to do something else, if something happens or you don't return and they look for you on a particular track and don't realise you've done something different, uh, that's probably 
more of an issue than is if you just do the designated walk and you don't return because they're going to not necessarily be looking for you in the right area. Now, it's a good example through here. So when we did the Four Hearts walk, uh, there was a trail register about 100 metres in from the start of the walk and we actually uh, indicated that this is what we were doing uh, and this is the direction we were heading. So if we had have actually uh, not... Uh, come back, people would have been aware of it. And in the case of the way we did it, we didn't do it as a return walk, mm. so we weren't going to be signing back out of the trail register, but we did actually indicate that on the actual uh, walking register itself. The other thing here I'd also say is stay within your limits both physically and skill-wise. It's no good doing a 40-kilometre walk because you think it looks good if you've never done that distance before and you don't have the ability so make sure that whatever you plan to do is within your own physical ability. And if you, as I said, keep it simple to start with uh, before you start doing going totally off bush through uh, uh, remote and wilderness areas uh, where you're not going to be on a, a marked trail at any stage. So you know, that's starting to get complex uh, and it's something I'd leave to, to later on. Yeah, that's a bit serious. Now, we'll talk about the real-world example here. And as I said, we, we've mentioned the Four Huts walk. Uh, and again, not particularly – we're a bit like racehorses here, not particularly creative in, in our, <laughs> our naming of this walk, but it, it makes sense. No, it's sense. the racehorse owners, isn't it, that are not creative. <laughs> so in this case here, as I said, we, we came across this. We hadn't actually thought about it, but it was only because we were doing another walk uh, that we thought, okay, that makes a bit of sense. We might have a look at that. And we actually ended up going back the weekend after uh, the walk we were doing to see how it had pan out. Now, this walk, as we did it, ended up being around about 15.8 kilometres. And what it actually did was join the 10.2 kilometre loop, the Settlers Walking Track. And this takes in three huts. And then it also joined it up to the Old Baboyan Homestead Ruin, uh, which was by itself a 5.6-kilometre return out and back walk. And what we did is we joined those two walks together. We had a couple of options here. So um, what we tend to do, just because it makes it easier, we don't feel like taking two cars or doing really long walks. So what we ended up doing was we parked at the trailhead for the old Bamboyan uh, walking uh, route, uh, or, or in fact, Jill dropped me off at that point. I started walking. She drove a few kilometres away to the return trailhead and started at the other end, and we met somewhere in the middle, and she turned around, and I kept on going for the rest of the walk. Now, it means I get to see the whole walk, but Jill had seen the other components of this walk previously anyway. Um, I saw a fair bit of the walk. I think it was probably a little bit more than halfway where we met. Um, so, and uh, the other thing was that I took a slight, um, sh slight shortcut as well. So that's the other interesting thing that I did. Didn't necessarily go the exact route uh, that we returned. Um, so on the way to meet Tim, I went a slightly different way, which was a little bit shorter than what it would have been anyway. And there, and there is that option. So even though the way we've done it, there is another option where you can cut out a piece and do something slightly different mm -hmm. if that's what you want to do. Yeah, yeah. 
as I said, in that case here, we started off at one point. Uh, Jill drove the car over to the end destination, and we ended up both finishing at that end point. The option does exist with this walk to uh, park at the at, at either end and walk and do a total loop. Now, what this means is that you'll be doing roughly about 2.5 kilometres of additional road walking on Management Road. Um, now, it can be busy there, but the road's wide enough that, and it's not a long distance that you can walk on the edge of the road to get back to where you're going just for adding that extra 2.5 kilometres. So it's taking it up to around about roughly 18, just a bit over 18 kilometres. Uh, and that means if you're doing this walk by yourself uh, and you don't have someone to shuffle cars or you don't want to take two cars or you don't want to do what we did, where's starting at different ends of the walk, meeting in the middle and, and one person turning back again. So it gives you the options depending on what you feel like doing. And as I said, in the written version of this, we show the map examples of uh, the the ex pre-existing walks that are that are actually designated in the park itself. Uh, we show and when we show you the what we actually did, as well as the total loop where we'd walk back to the starting point. This is just a mechanism or a, a, a an example to show you how we planned this out. And and again, there's no right and wrong way here. It's really a matter of what you feel like doing, how much distance you feel like traveling. And we could have very easily have broken this into a two-day walk, maybe started uh, just after lunchtime, uh, done the walk, camped halfway through, uh, and then finished off the next morning after a night camping. And someone, and one of the, the, the prompts for this podcast is someone asked me about multi-day walks in Canberra. Uh, and as it stands, as of today... Uh, there's a section of Namaji National Park that's still closed due to last summer's, or in fact, the 2019-20 bushfires uh, that don't open up or isn't due to open back up again until uh, supposedly the beginning of April, if, if in fact the whole area is still going to open back up again. So if people are looking at walks to do uh, that are away from the traditional long-distance walks in Namaji National Park, here was an option. One of the options here was to actually uh, continue the walk and actually walk over to the Mount Clear campground, which would have added probably another couple of kilometres to the walk, uh, and then walk out to Demandering and then Horse Gully Hut uh, and, and add this to and turn this into a three or even four day hike if that's what you're really interested in. And that was where the, the original question and the original prompt for this podcast came from. Yeah, and wherever you are in Australia, you know, you have this similar opportunity of connecting up. I mean, we're using this example of uh, Namaji National Park, but, you know, you just look in your own backyard and, and see what's available and see what opportunities you have to um, connect some things together, either for a slightly longer day walk or, a um, you know, potentially a multi-day walk. Now, I suppose just to finish off, just a couple of things. My one of the comments I would make here is national parks work on a budget. You know, they, they don't have unlimited funds where they can put signposted walks every 10 metres uh, just to, to generate every possible option. So when the, the park managers and staff look at the walks that are in there, they, they certainly look at what walks they can design and put in. 
but sometimes they'll try and use management trail rather than actually generating new formed walking track because that's a, a more expensive option. And you know, why not use pre-existing trails or, or management tracks if you can do that? And in the case of Tidbinbilla Nature Reserve in Canberra, a lot of their walking trails are on management track. Yep. Uh, but there's no vehicles. You know, apart from the occasional ranger's vehicle that comes past, you don't have to worry about cars or other vehicles getting in your way. So it's it's a good opportunity and a good option to use those sort of facilities. And it you know, and it, and Tidbinbilla is a really good example here. There are so many roads that don't show designated walking tracks on. Um, and if all you do is stick to the designated tracks, there's a lot of the reserves that you tend not to see. So it's a good opportunity to see something a bit different and get away from the crowds as well. Now, while designated walking tracks are the easy option and require typically limited planning, sometimes, as I said, you just want to do something just a bit different to create something a bit special. Uh, now, I need to own up here and say that I love the planning aspect of hiking just as much as the hiking itself. So creating my own routes uh, is something that I really enjoy doing. Yeah, see, um, the only thing I ask is how long is it and how much of it is uphill? <laughs> now, having said that, there is nothing wrong with sticking to the mark trails and no matter how hard you try, I don't think anyone is ever going to be able to walk every hiking or walking track in Australia, uh, particularly given that they're generating new ones all the time. So, you know, there are thousands of walking tracks and it would take, you know, 10, 20 years probably of full-time work just to generate and walk every track in Australia. So, um, you know, it's nothing wrong with doing the designated trails, but if you think, think you're wanting to do something different, look at creating your own adventure. Okay, that's all for this week's episode. We hope you've enjoyed. That's all for me. Bye for now. And bye from me.